Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's Bashamania! Let me tell you something, brother. He gave us everything he had in him tonight. What you gonna do when Bashamania runs wild? Oh, it's gonna be a good one. And business just picked up here on the podcast. Yeah. Hey guys, welcome to Bash Mania. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Attack. Attack is a training app for competitive athletes that lets you level up with AI. Attack offers custom-built programs for you to reach your goals and guided workouts to execute the plan. Attack features all sorts of cool functionality from their leaderboard and various ways to compete with your friends and foes to awesome technique and training advice from some of the best athletes out there. From Jordan Burroughs and Sarah Hildebrandt to Reese Humphrey, you name it, this app is loaded with golden nuggets to increase your training and athleticism. The Attack preseason college showdown is two-thirds of the way through, and I actually just saw this morning that Trent Hidley won October. He's crushing it. Be sure to follow Attack and Trent and others participating in college preseason showdown and get an inside look at the app and those training with it. Download Attack on the Apple App Store today and follow them on social. They're attack.app. That's A-T-A-C. Download the Attack app today. Bashmania 184 coffee. What what did I just say? 141. <laughs> 184. Said. You're yeah, you're, we're we're heads jump- on the college wrestling season, right? Now. Yeah. <laughs> college wrestling season did start. Coffee Chendo's back. Martin's on today. Martin, do you still follow wrestling like aggressively? Uh I yeah, I follow, I like it. I like wrestling. My son's wrestling now too, so I'm a little bit more dialed in and it's fun. Did I hear you see uh see get good grades, take AP classes? What? Does he get good grades and take AP classes? <laughs> uh, right That's, now, he, he's in third grade. so per- we'll- Perfect, perfect. So he'll be set. He'll know exactly what to do yeah. when the time comes. Yeah. 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 yeah, that's Stanford recruiting. I asked Chenzo what? about one guy. He's like, oh, no, his grades. Nope. <laughs> he's yeah. not even close. Um, yeah. Did I hear you're coaching wrestling, too? Yeah, so I'm coaching the little youth, youth league. Nice. How are you liking that? I love it. I love it because I I got a chance to obviously go across the country and see like basically all the best youth coaches operate and how they operate, how they think, and really just taking ideas from here, there, um, kind of that work with my style, what I'm doing and I'm learning. I'm not a great technician, but (laughs) just understanding, like just kind of understanding some of the basics and the cores. I mean, I'm dealing with a lot of first year wrestlers, so it's fun seeing it on the other end. And, and obviously I'm, doing it partly because my son's in it and it's fine right. um but uh, but yeah so that's that's the idea it's 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 great yeah and wrestling super important and i guess we'll start there i'm curious for you you know you probably were a much better wrestler than i was but your success in life came far from after wrestling you seem like one of those people that wrestling taught you a lot that led to your success later on i'm curious how you think wrestling played into your success so far yeah, everything. I mean, I, I think rest. So I started wrestling when I was a junior year of high school, like the beginning. Wow. Of my junior year. 
Yeah. So, but I just loved it. I fell in love with the sport when I probably lost my first match. Cause it was like, Whoa, I lost it. You know, like, and I'm very, yeah. I'm very person. I was like, no one else really lost. It. I lost it. And when I remember it was a close match. And, um, and so from there I was just hooked and I loved it. I love the fact that it really exposes all of your weaknesses and blind yeah. spots. Um, and, I was never a person that was afraid of failure. And I thought that really kind of goes good with wrestling. Now, believe I, just like everyone else, had, you know, probably had anxiety going into match. Now, I certainly had anxiety going into matches. Uh, sometimes I look at some of the guys like Vincenzo and other people in terms of just kind of their mindset and how they flipped that thought process instead of being nervous to be more excited and wish I had a little bit more of that. But um, I just you know, the, the exposure of weaknesses and just kind of leaning into it to me was, was just something I just gravitated to. I love that part of it. it like was, what's a weakness when you say the exposed weakness, like what? You can't hide. And, um, the fact that, you know, if I wasn't able to perform under pressure to me, that was just totally unacceptable. Right. So if, sure. if I, if I collapsed under pressure, or if I didn't, if I didn't have a, a good match to me that was that there was a weakness there that needed to be improved um if i you know i was always pretty good at conditioning but being better or technique wise i mean it just exposes you and and to that is a great i, I think that's great you know for, we learn so much from the losses that yep. come along the way and and i just like in business not afraid to to go out and I mean, obviously no one wants to lose, but you, you also can't be afraid to go out and take chances. And so uh, that just really worked well with my personality. Cause that's, that's kind of how I thought about it. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So how did you go from there then, you know, for people listening, because it's funny, you started flow like 2006 and yeah. now, now these kids are coming up and like flows just a part of wrestling. It's yeah. not like some of the older guys, even me, I mean, I'm 35, so I remember kind of watching it evolve. When I was in high school, I graduated in 2004, there was no flow. So I kind of watch it, but these kids come up now, they almost don't know who you are or what life is without flow. You obviously started Flow Sports 2006. What was that bridge between starting wrestling as a junior in high school and launching what turned out to be, you know, one of the biggest platforms in the sport? So I always thought I could be, I didn't care. I started junior year of high school. My mentality was I, I could still be a division one, all American or NCA champ looking at it. Now that is pretty. Uh, it's hard to do. That's <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's kind of hard to do when you don't have do. muscle memory, a lot of other things. So look at it now. I was like, dang, I, I mean, I didn't do half bad. Just mm -mm. making a college team. Right. Right. So, uh, division one college team. But, um, I, um, uh, to me, it was like, I still could have done it. I could have cracked it. To me, it was, it was a box. It was something that was unsolved. Like I, I wasn't, I didn't, I, I wasn't able to solve that riddle, but the, the, the solution was there. I just wasn't able to find it. And why wasn't I able to find it? Because, you know, there wasn't enough. If I had more access to more information, maybe I could have found it. And so I almost kind of thought, you know, what? I'm going to create content that I love. I'm going to create content that I wanted. Uh, and so that was just a driving force behind it because my my college career was a failure, quote unquote, right? And so I didn't I didn't do what I wanted to do, and uh, and so and so it was just driving creating content that I wanted as a start, um, and that took me only so far, right? Because you know I, I remember as a 
uh, I went up to Cornell and um, so I'll tell you, so I went up to Cornell and was talking with Rob Cole and Rob Cole's like, I heard, I heard he's a douchebag. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I went up to Rob Cole and, Cornell, uh, and Rob's like, and, and at the time I, I knew that if I created a product that everyone loved, I'd figure out a way to make money second. I didn't have to worry sure. about a business model right off the bat. I just believed if I create a product that everyone loved, the economic model would come second. But he would, he's just saying, He's saying, he's like, dude, what is your economic model? And Rob was awesome because, you know, to this day, he put me up in a hotel um, where I may have slept in my car. He put me up in a hotel and then he he bought me a filet mignon, like, like at the, <laughs> at the, at the hotel, like order in because I just came back from Baku, right? Um, uh, I was, I went to 2007 World Championships and right when I came back and I was just freaking exhausted and he bought me a filet mignon um room service at the hotel because he just you see i was exhausted <laughs> Dude, that was pretty good that was pretty good that's something you remember that's a uh -huh. that was a nice little investment there by rob because i was just like man this dude this dude ain't that bad he knows and, what he's doing man <laughs> he's no, he, well i mean it was it was it was very thoughtful period mm -hmm. right no matter what like the dude, right. dude understood and he was very thoughtful um, uh, just about, you know, what I was going through and, um, and, but, but he also said, he's like, do you, you have to have an economic model? You, what are you a socialist? You got it. You got to have an economic <laughs> model here. And my, and I was just kind of going off of like, I'm just going to keep building something that love and the economic model will follow. And I think that's a good advice for a lot of people in terms of following your passions. But I, eventually I had to, I had to find that economic model and I was, and we were able to find that economic model. And that's when really I, the whole thing took off and we were able to invest way more into doing cool things. Do you think you would have had a different career path if when you started flows 2006 and you said something that's like what people are saying now, I want to create content that I like that I would consume, but you did it 2006. You did it 15 years ago before there were platforms really for you to go on. Do you they think made it down? Correct. Do you yeah. think if those platforms already existed, you wouldn't have had to, in essence, create the platform for you to share? Um, you, uh, well, no. Um, eh, that's a good question. So would I have, I probably, I mean, I obviously would have done things way differently, right? I mean, there's better distribution. Yeah. Models, other different things you could leverage. Um, maybe I would have done a, um, I think maybe it would have evolved like uh, just in a different manner, but I was yeah. pretty passionate about making this. This is something that I want to do and I want to make this. This is something that I'm doing for a living because this yeah. is fun. Chenzo, I'm curious on your perspective, because as you were coming up, flow was like flow existed. Mm -hmm. But then at the same time, when you got to Penn State, Penn State was obviously one of those programs that's like super locked down almost the antithesis to what flow was doing, which was backstage access behind the scenes. I'm right. curious what it was like for you coming up with flow. I mean, as a kid, you know, um, middle school, high school and stuff. I, I love flow wrestling. Um, they had, you guys had awesome content, like the videos that you would produce yourself. Um, and just like a lot of the other stuff. So I'll show this real quick. Grant Leith. He's one of our, uh, he's our volunteer assistant coach. And we, we share this around a lot. It's a stud alert from Grant Lee. Um, <laughs> him, him, him with his, uh, him with his uh, 
flow headband on yeah. like super 32 belt on his shoulder uh you know i thought it was just cool cool stuff good content you know everybody back in the day they wanted to get that headband get the belt and uh I don't know. It was just like an awesome thing. And then, you know, I remember just like all the technique videos and stuff. My dad would put me in front of the computer, make me watch technique <laughs> videos for hours. I didn't love that part, but everything else, <laughs> like, like, like your guys' videos, like, co like, you know, what coaches shouldn't do from the corner and stuff yeah. like that, like scream and squeeze and things like that. Like I, <laughs> like I loved all that stuff. Like it was hilarious. That, that was a lot of that creativity came from Joe Williamson. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, he was really, really good. And Mark Bader, uh, but yeah, that was, uh, they, they had a lot, a lot to do with, you know, kind of just doing those quirky, fun things. So it was good. Hey, Vincenzo, do you remember the one time that, um, this is one time I remember, I don't remember much about your high school, but I do remember some about your college where you went to, um, Ohio state and you guys put it on Ohio state. And then you wrote a tweet afterwards or you're something yeah. like, thanks for the practice. Yeah. I, I <laughs> I, uh, that, was, that was a good warm-up <laughs> practice thing Ohio State. I, uh, and then, and then, then they made you remove it? No, I just deleted it on my own because I was oh, taking I was taking some heat for it. Yeah, I just so I posted a picture. Um, just people messaging me and stuff like that. Oh, and, really? Yeah, so I uh, I posted a picture. It's still up there, and it's just like after we wrestled Ohio State, and it doesn't have a caption. And the mm -hmm. original caption was, at Wrestling Bucks, thanks for the workout. Yeah. Um, yeah, that went pretty well. <laughs> I thought it, I thought it was pretty hilarious. So that was good. I All right. How much how much time did you spend doing things yourself before you scaled up? Like you mentioned, like Bader and Joe, and those guys were crucial early on. But when you started the company, like you had a passion and you had a work ethic where you're in the back of a van driving places. You're, yeah. you know, I've heard you say that you were. Like you drove to Midlands, recorded matches, drove back, uploaded them. How long did you do that? Like as much as you could yourself before scaling up. I feel like now everybody is so quick to want to just hire and do last and like kind of play CEO rather than like take hands-on approach to it all. Um, so I, I probably hired ahead of where we should have in terms of an economic model, just because it was so much work and I had so much yeah. ambition. So I, I wouldn't say, you know, Looking back on it, I would say if there's there's definitely critiques, of course, on how how you build something in terms of building it better, and in that way, it should it could have been a lot better in terms of just the methodology, in terms of how I built up um, and made sure I had an economic model beforehand. But I, I really did believe that if we built something cool, we would figure out a way, and if we had the right people on board. Um, it, it, it'll happen. And so probably hired too early, given what our wow. economic model was at that time. And so because we didn't have an economic model. I mean, it was advertising and I hated advertising. I hated advertising. Were you out getting the sponsors, getting the advertisers? Buying, and I just, to me, it was just, and, and now I can articulate why I didn't like it. But at the time, I didn't know, I couldn't articulate it just in my gut. It didn't feel like the right thing to do for a lot of different reasons. Um, and, you know, now I, I can articulate it. It's like, I, I don't, I didn't like it because it really did affect the content. We wouldn't yeah. make as cool of content when we had advertisers because they wanted to take the edge off of a lot of stuff. Um, we, uh, it, it made us do content that we didn't want. So all of a sudden we're, we're not creating as great of content for people. 
And, yeah. and then also the user experience from a developer perspective, you always got to think about, okay, where are the ads going to be? Um, for the people on the ground, they got to think about, okay, I got to do all these other things. And so their brains are not on thinking about, hey, let's capture the best amount of, of, of the elements of what's going on right here and be obsessed with it. Now they're managing something. And to me, it's, it's not like a 10% reduction. It's like a 50% reduction, right? It's not, oh, it's just this little thing. It's like, no, you're, you're really taking obsession away from people. And now yeah. they have to be managed in this other component. And, and if it's within the organization, I think you're taking the obsession away from the organization. So, you know, people knocked on me, you know, they kind of like roll their eyes when I talk about focus. But for me, everything was about focus. We can, if we can just focus, really dial in and just zero in and focus. And so, you know, my goal when we are subscriptions I left before then um but my goal was to remove all ads you know and obviously flow flow hasn't taken that I think they went the opposite way yeah I think they went the opposite way but but my goal was to remove all ads because I just did I thought from a developer standpoint you know when you're developing things you got to think about these things and it just it removed it, it removed the focus that um, and the obsession that I really wanted. And, and it got away, it got in the way of the content and the user. So really for yeah. me, it was remove that barrier so that, that we have that pure experience because how cool is that if you can actually have a pure experience as opposed to one that's constantly being interjected with ads. And that's why even with this podcast, we've had sponsors on Manscaped and others that it does, you're right, it does take away from the focus, even if it's perfect. And I'm grateful for right now. Attack is our only sponsor. It's all I want. We start to show off with them. They're, they understand being a part of the brand and not yeah. some of these companies want the ad reads. They want better yeah. ad reads. They want this product placement. It does take away from so much um, focus. And I'm curious when you mentioned focus, what do you think led to your success the most at Flow? Was it your focus? Was it your work ethic? What do you think it was? Uh, I'm, I love being on the bleeding edge and I love, I'm not afraid of failure. Right. I mean, if there's one thing you knock me on, it's, it's probably not that. Cause I, I, I do not relative as you grow, as you kind of get into the workforce, you start to realize there's a lot of fear of failure. Yep. I never understood that cause I never had it. Um, and so and that's, I don't know if it has something to do with my dad being an immigrant and it was just weird kind of growing I don't know there's there's something weird there because when I look at other people there is this inherent sometimes this fear and and I, I guess maybe I have a little I just don't have it relative to the to the general population so I think that that allows me to innovate that allows me to really think about hey what are the let's lean into the future let's not try and protect let's lean in let's give more let's do more let's figure out other ways to create value I'm obsessed with creating value for the for the parties at hand i'm also uh, i'd say not afraid of confrontation so you know i will lean into confrontation and 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 hopefully you know it's not a negative term it's a term of hey let's address the problems that are on the table and let's figure it out uh, as opposed to let's let them fester and go beneath the surface Uh, some people are um really about that yeah Yeah. (laughs) also their personalities are are not that direct right Right. so but and that's fine too you have to you have to be able to work with those people because people have different personalities there's all different types of personality types but um being able to get to those and dig for them because sometimes you have to dig for those problems you know you see someone walking through the hall you go something right you know 
and just being able yeah. to be like, oh, okay, I want to, I want to go in and dig in on seeing what is actually the issue. So, I mean, that's, that's it. I'm obviously not perfect. I have, I'm, I'm sure there's, there's uh, critique, uh, plentiful of critiques and how to get better. And, um, and I'd love to hear those, but, um, but, and I do hear them, but, but yeah, it's, <laughs> that, those would be best. When you left flow, what led to starting Rockfin? Because, you know, it's funny you mentioned, in 2006 and your focus on content creation and it kind of came full circle now launching a platform that really benefits the content creator and being on rockfin now for i don't know 10 months it does like i see sometimes how much ray tokens are generated something i'm like wow that that really is good value but what led to starting rockfin after you left flow so i started to realize um you know in the marketplace and just based off my experience that the people that actually create value on networks um, are actually getting locked out of a lot of full value. And there's just a massive better way to do it. And so, you know, what is com is commonly determined as web 3.0, yep. right? Um, today is, is I just, I saw, I saw that. I was like, this is insane. The fact that people are getting locked out of the network um, value that they're creating. So essentially what, what that translates into is, you know, you have this community that comes onto a platform and yeah. over time, the platform that owns the network that they're on has more leverage over that community yeah. and they can extract more value, even though that wasn't the spirit of how they came on, right? When they came on, everyone was collaborative. Everyone's like, hey, let's go do this. Let's build this. Yes, we need this, right? But as time goes on because of how networks are formed and how they develop because the platform owns the customer and they own the data they're able to extract more value from the people that are actually producing on the on the platform and that, and they, those people that were originally on they need the platform for distribution now they say yeah. oh shoot we actually need to be on here and the platform knows that and so they're able to extract more and more value out of the process right and so for me that felt like, wait a minute, that wasn't the spirit of how everyone came on. Yeah. That's not how, that's not how this thing was supposed to be developed. And so for me, it was like, okay, there really needs to be a new financial vehicle to distribute to the people that contribute to networks that allows them to get a stake in the network. Now a stake that they can cash out or they can decide to keep yeah. and making sure that the full value is rewarded to those networks. And so for me, that was like, you know, and, and I probably couldn't articulate it like that, Justin, but to, that was, that was what I felt. I'm like, this is, was that right when you left flow that you started thinking about that? Cause I mean, you obviously made a lot of money. Yeah. I'm sure you traveled a little bit. Like, was it something that slowly developed or was it something that was always kind of on your mind and heart to do? Uh, well, I, it was so after, I don't know if you remember, but I was starting to read like, um, just the Bitcoin white paper, starting to understand blockchain. I was starting to understand these different components. Yeah. And then after I left, I really got to really dive deep into it, read books on it, yeah. sit and think. And then I met, um, I met uh, our, our head of operations right now. And I started talking to him about it. Um, and I, and I started to, you know, talk to other people about it and really just process this feeling I was having. And, uh, and so it was a couple months, but at the same time, my personality is not a, 
hey, let's go sit on an island for six months. I just, I don't find enjoyment in that. That to me, that's not fun. To me, what's fun is being in, in like, to me, innovation is, is kind of like wrestling. You know, it's sometimes really hard. It sometimes sucks. Sometimes, yeah. you know, you have to get in there and jump in there and it's not comfortable, but in the end, you're always glad you're, you're kind of doing it. It's, it's fun. It's rewarding. So that's, that's where my personality was. And that's kind of why I jumped into Rockfin um, a few months after I left Flow, Flow Sports. And you were like 12, 13 years older when you launched Rockfin versus Flow. How different was your perspective or even the same from a company standpoint, you know, running a company, co being the co-founder company, running it for so long and then starting another one. How different or the same as your perspective? Totally different you understand way more you've, you've gone through the process. So you see, you know, kind of how things go. Um, it, and, and there were still a lot of challenges. So the way I'd explain it, because I was, we were entering in a field just because you're in, uh, we're in, for those of you who don't know, there's the compensation, the consumer doesn't see it, but the compensation protocol that we rely on is based on blockchain and it's based on a, ERC-20 token, which is based off of Ethereum, essentially, where all the content creators are distributed that token instead of cash, but they can cash out that token when they want, right? And so, and, but there's reasons for that because we we think that token is better financial vehicle, better than cash and better, and equity is not a good financial vehicle to distribute value on network. And so because of that, we're attracting more creators on the platform that can actually earn a multiple on day one to the cash value that they bring to the table. And so by kind of closing that gap, we think we have a massive competitive advantage in the marketplace. Um, and, and so that's, that's the, th that is the technology we're based off of. And, but when I started Rockfin web 3.0 was two and a half years younger, three years younger. Right. So it was like there, no one knew how to even, talk this way no one knew how to describe the things i'm describing we i didn't know how to describe we're all just it's like you're in a dark room and you're searching for things you don't know where they are and you got to try and figure out where everything is as opposed to walking in a room flipping the lights on well that's what it was like when i started flow it felt like i was in a dark room i didn't know where it was but now with rockman i at least had the understanding of the business component but i still had that dark room where i was like shoot i don't know exactly how these things are working we got to figure these things out and in the process we developed multiple patent ip around what we're doing and um and just getting our hands dirty and figuring out that's that that also is thrilling to me i mean it's scary uh, at times but it's thrilling we need to get chenzo on there oh. creating some content <laughs> i see chenzo we, sitting we back and wheels are turning <laughs> we, we tried it a bit ago and then nothing ever came about it but no, yeah, it's tough it, being it a content tough creator. Now. It's tough, right? I mean, that's mm -hmm. why if you're good, you're gonna, you're gonna. That's why you're heavily sought after. But it's very tough to create content because not only do you have to understand how to create content, but you also have to either you or someone around you has to be a good marketing of that content. Yeah. And it's the combination of doing those two things that's that's difficult. Yeah, and I'm curious sure. too. So obviously, the flow versus Rockman, like that whole trial, brought so much eyeballs to i don't want to say the battle between flow and rockfin but i think like the difference between the two and i think where i love rockfin is it you know number one it's not just focusing on wrestling it's focusing on individual content creators and because of you and your background there happens to be so much within wrestling 
but I'm curious what you would say is the game plan for Rockfin moving forward and where you see it going. Uh, so the game plan for Rockfin move. Okay. So we got a lot of cool stuff. So, um, um, okay. So well, one, I, I think the way, um, the way rights, um, way people distribute their rights is going to really change. And we, I hope, you know, flow sports leans into this, um, because, um, it's, yeah, I mean, to me, it's it's it's. You say I've made a lot of money, Justin, off Flow Sports. I, I actually haven't exited my position in Flow Sports, right? So I, I hope Flow Sports does good, but uh, they're gonna have to lean into the future, right? And lean into the future is distributing events in in a, a different way, and and so they're a media company. They go out and produce events, and they have a really good. They have a good. Um, um, they have a great. Uh, they have a good model in terms of production model in terms of get, getting after events with a low production cost and be able to make the events work and distribute it to their audience. But, you know, in the future, way I look at it is there's so much value in these live events. There's so much value and the rights holders, they have to be a part of the process, right? They, they, they have a lot of value underneath of what they're doing. Now they've a lot of ways have they, these rights holders, can get um can't realize the value for a lot of different reasons but now we are opening it up so that the rights holders and media companies that own the rights can actually capture the full value because i would even argue that flow sports doesn't even capture the full value for itself and so what what we are going to do and what's actually going to occur is i, I don't know if you guys heard of the collegiate duels now is going to be uh distributed that. by of uh, uh, Frank Papalizio's group, and it's going to be distributed on Rockfin, right? He decided to distribute it on Rockfin. And what actually has happened is all these teams are now getting into pools, and the first place team is getting a large percentage of the value that is being That's that sick. is that is earning off the media. That's so awesome. now you have you have teams like. You have, of course, you have Iowa and Penn State are on there, but you also have Cornell. You also have Missouri. You also have NC State. You also have Arizona State, right? And now all of a sudden, these teams are able to actually partake and their schools are able to partake in the full value that their events are generating. And that value doesn't just end December 21st when the event ends. It goes on, in, it goes on for the next at least five years, where they're getting royalties based on the value that they bring to the table, right? Because they're, they're helping to bring a recurring revenue stream to the platform. And so they get built-in royalties that get distributed for the next five years. And then guess what? This year ends, and if they decided, if Frank Papalizio decides to distribute the event again on Rockfin, he's going to continue to get, you know, the next year, there'll be next year of five-year royalties that get for the value. And so as events are starting to realize the full value that they bring to the table and that they can get a whopping portion of a lifetime value and that Iowa needs Penn State, Penn State needs Iowa. I know those fan bases probably hate hearing it, right? You know, but that's the <laughs> truth, right? Oklahoma State, need all these top tier, they're more powerful together. Right. But of course they don't like each other, but that's, that's part of the drama. That's part of the greatness of the wrestling. And as they work in concert, they all get more. And this through the collaborative efforts, they're really able to monetize it in a more effective manner. And so 
that is that's going that's happening and those teams that have the bold um to have the bold guts to participate in the first year are now going to be able to participate and get that. And now on top of that, there's a, there's this ongoing royalty stream that's going to be in perpetuity that, that these people can tap into to help bolster the program. Cause my thesis is that there's a whole lot more value in wrestling than anybody even knows. And that it's, it's really even today untapped in terms of the potential economic value. Um, as long as it's reinvested back into the sport, it can be, it can be massive. That's pretty wild. Um, yeah, I'd say so. I won't, we, this is obviously a wrestling podcast, so we won't dive too far into crypto, but I'm curious you see a couple people that their only hesitation to joining Rockfin is that they don't understand crypto, right? Yeah. They don't, they don't understand cashing it out or whatever. Where do you think crypto plays a role in either slowing the growth or accelerating the growth of a platform like this? Uh, well, you get a multiple. So if you come on today, you, because there's a forward looking vehicle that's capturing your value for the cash that you bring in, you actually get a multiple of the cash you bring in. And that, and people, it's hard for people to understand that right. process, right? But, but there's, but because Ray tokens is a scarce token and has a uh, deflationary minting uh, minting cycle, over time, less and less of it get minted. Yet the platform needs Ray for us to fulfill our obligations to all the rights holders and all the all the channels that are on the platform, right? All the media companies that are distributing for the rights. You know, anyone who is distributing copyright, we have to have Ray on hand and verifiably spend it or burn it. Right. So we verifiably say, hey, look, we've taken $10 of Ray that we've gotten from your $10 money. And so what happens is that people go, oh, OK, you guys had about 2,500 subscribers last year and now you have 25,000. OK, what's going to happen over the next year? Right. And they say, yeah. oh, OK. And there's a scarce amount of this, Ray. That means the platform is going to need a whole lot more of it if they're going to continue on moving forward. So all of a sudden there's this forward looking value with Ray. Right. That. Um, that allows the content creators to partake in the multiple, right? Because now people are saying, you know what? I think Ray's going to go up because the platform's going to need more of it. So they're doing the bidding. Yeah. They're we're not controlling the price of Ray, right? And as that more, as more platforms come on the onto the ecosystem, they're they're going to partake. They're they're going to they're also going to drive the demand of Ray, right? So it is it becomes more and more scarce. So. The fact that it's an, a new economic model that really captures the full value is is one hundred percent. It's going to be a an accelerator for communities that lean into this, and that's why I love that wrestling's doing it because wrestling's right. going to be on the bleeding edge. They are going to be the beneficiaries of this moving forward because they're moving into Web three more than anything else. I don't yeah. think there's a no, there's a, not another NCA sport that is as tied into web 3.0 as wrestling. And by oh, joining agree. early it, because this is guys, this is a 1000% better way to do business. And this is the future marketplace networks where there's a supplier and then there's a consumer, right? So you can kind of think of Uber and, you know, Airbnb, you have the house owner, you have the consumer Uber, you have the driver, you have the, the, the rider, right? Uh, YouTube, you have the content creators, you have the consumers, right? And so anytime there's a marketplace network, the supply side 
right now in current marketplace networks uh, do not get to partake in the full value that they bring to the table. And especially in the early life cycle of these networks, there's so much value that the platform is hoarding, right? And so, you know, our view is there's enough, there's enough value to go around. Let's just give everyone the most, the most, let's give everyone the accurate value, not more or less. And if we do that, we're going to attract more value. And as we attract more value, the, the network's value goes up exponentially, which we get to partake in, but also the other creators get to partake in. Do, so do, everybody gets to collaborate around this value that's moving forward. And in the, in the next 10 years, it's all going to be about market efficiency. Are you rewarding value in an accurate way? Not more and not less. And if you are, you're going to be attracting more valuable um, valuable contributors to your network. And therefore, your network is going to go up exponentially just because that's how networks work. As you add nodes to the network, the value doesn't increase linearly. It goes up exponentially. And that's why there's so much hundreds of billions, trillions of dollars into these networks that are built out. And so wrestling, I look at it as, all right, these wrestling has the opportunity to take advantage of the fact that this whole industry is going to be flipping on its head over the next 10 years. Let's go. Because guess what? Wrestling is probably is the coolest sport in the world in my eyes. So let, let's actually take advantage of it and be f- first movers on it. Do you think that it sounds like to me, because I've talked to some people that were hesitant to get on to Rockfin because simple minds, I don't know how to cash out or whatever, but it sounds like there's so much value that people are just like, whatever, I'll figure everything else out later because this is too good to pass up. Well, to to me, it's like, you're going to have to do this in the next 10 years. You're going to have to go into crypto in some form. What we do with content creators, we hold their hands through it. We say, this is how you cash out. This is what this means. This is what a wallet means. This is how you set up a wallet. This is how you protect your wallet. Like, this is happening in the next 10 years. You can either wait 10 years and not, you know, not take advantage of the wave, or you can do it now and have someone like us hold your hand through it. Okay. Now that doesn't mean there's not risk on your end. You still got to be able to hold your keys. That means you can't just send your tokens anywhere. Like you have to take responsibility, but at the same, there's risks, but there's massive rewards if you're responsible and how you, how you do it. And so to me, it's like, okay, you, of course, it, it, there's difference. And I'm not saying, Justin, this is a thousand percent perfect. You know, um, you know, we, we would like to have more liquidity. We've gone up our liquidity about 8x. So that liquidity means kind of getting your tokens out and not moving the price. So and when we first go and that was a major problem, we've improved it. I'd still like to go another 10x more. Right. So that there's hardly any movement on price. If you even if you want to sell 50,000 or 100,000 or 200,000 tokens. Right. But we're not there yet, but we're building and and we're just grinding month after month and just build making the snowball bigger. So I'm uh, I'm excited and I think we've made massive headway and we have way more to go and a lot of key things that are falling in place here. What did you think of hitting 25,000 subscribers this weekend? It's great. I mean, I'm a. I'm notoriously like always, oh yeah, that's great. What's next? You know, yeah. so I have to slow down and celebrate and say, you're yeah, gonna go, you're going to go kicking on an Island for a few months. Celebrate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, you know, what's actually one of the coolest things is our free content has gone off the charts too. So our user, our user base is now. Uh, so one of the things that early networks always trade off is there's, they usually try to make up for distribution by giving more early on. And that's 
kind of mapped to the rate token, um, how it how it mints. And so, but you sacrifice distribution. But what's cool to see what's happening is how fast we're getting bigger and bigger distribution, more users signing up, more users consuming content. We have four or five straight months of 20, 25, 30% growth month over month, which, you know, only takes a couple, you know, it, it only takes a little bit to continue going on where this becomes a, a, a massive number. So we're really excited about the free content distributions going up um, as well as, as well as paid subscribers. And so, yeah. I love it. I want to ask you about something last week on Twitter. They were, I can't remember who, who was talking about it. P- people are talking about the most influential people in wrestling. And obviously people are talking about you and, you know, many people cry about growing wrestling and they do nothing about it. You've obviously put a strong dent in the growth of the sport. What do you think wrestling needs to continue growing or to grow in general? Um, I think web 3.0, I mean, obviously I'm biased, right? So I'm web sure. 3.0. Like, like let's everyone wrestling get on web 3.0 as fast as possible, become as wealthy as possible in the meantime, and be able to reinvest that within the sport. So I think this, the cards on the collegiate level are stacked against wrestling. I think obviously the women's programs, like that should have been, that's great. It's happening. Uh, someone's mentioned Sally Roberts um, as one of the, yes, it's like, <laughs> been saying that for 10, 12 years, she actually went out and actually committed herself to do it and built out. It was like, why, 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 why didn't we have women's wrestling in 1990s? Maybe we wouldn't have been so affected by title nine, right? Like yeah, we should right. be doing this. We sh- this is good. This is great. So like uh, grow, growing the women's wrestling, but I, I think, I, I think, you know, just figure, continue to figure out economic models in the sport, solving problems, um, and, uh, and if there's more money in the sport, there's more time for people to solve problems. I'd say also like little things, right? Like, you know, when I, I went to a tournament the other day, right. And, and I spent, I got there an hour and a half ahead of time. Monroe weighed in, this is two weekends back. And then we waited two hours to wrestle three matches. I'm like, what the f- and, and, and yeah, like, that's about right. That's about right. And, and, and no one, well, hold on. And like, he was wrestling kids that were 11 years old and 10 pounds heavy. And it's like, didn't matter the weight. They could have just put him up against the wall and said, okay, you guys kind of look right. Okay, you guys go. You guys go. You guys go. And we could have gotten out of there in 45 minutes. Instead, we spent three, four hours. I mean, I know I've heard like Adam Terrapelli talk about this when, when he, you know, other people talk about this, but now they experience it. It's like, that's a massive friction point for, mm-hmm. I mean, you're talking about the early entry of people. If I didn't know and love wrestling, I'd be like, get the freak out of here. I ain't doing this again. <laughs> but because right. I know wrestling, I'm like, okay, we can change, you know, but like there should be a, a, a tournament. We should train. Like there's, there's accreditation. Like I, I, I got my safe sport thing. Right. It's like, this should be like, uh, if you're going to run a tournament and you're going to do it and it's going to be a credit USA wrestling event, like you, or, or new wave event or whatever event, like you should run a tournament this way. This is how you run a tournament for youth. When people come in there, it's this, this, and, and like that problem should be solved because that's a massive friction point. That's a friction point. Like this is like, so when I look at different things like that, it's small, you know, so someone yeah. on the collegiate level is thinking, well, I, I got to deal with title. You know, they're thinking of these mountains. I'm like, yeah, but this friction point could be taking, they could be 15% more attrition rate or 20% attrition rate. But if we just fix this, maybe people start to love it more. Right. And so those like problems after problems need to be solved. Right. And, and you, you get a compounding effect when you do it. And it's not the end all be all there's, 
20 other problems, but having an innovative mindset within wrestling to continue to improve those things is great. Now, went to another club and that's exactly how they did it. They lined all the wrestlers against the room. They said, boom, you guys are going. And they went and it was an incredible experience. We were out of there an hour and a half and it was just, it was a joy, right? As opposed to the other one was a drag. So uh, like, I'd say just continue to have an innovative mindset in the sport. And I, I think great things happen because the sport in and of itself is a superior product. Yeah. All right, Martin, we play a game on here. Word association Oof. game. Only when Chenzo's on here. Mm-hmm. So this it's always fun. He's, he's a busy guy now. So I'm grateful when he comes on still, we're able to do this. So the way it works, we each throw a word at you. We each have three words. We'll throw a word at you. You just say the first thing that comes to your mind. Don't over. I know. Don't overthink it. Just say it. It's it's best when you just your gut reacts. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Oh, man. You're really trying to take filters away from me on a live podcast. All right. Yeah. All right. right. So so I'll I'll start my first word. You're going to start. All right. You start. Go ahead. I think we both have the same first one. That's why. All right. You go first. All right. My first one is Christian Piles. Oh, man. I, I totally <laughs> did filter that first word. <laughs> uh, uh, pass. <laughs> all right. All right. We'll, we'll, go, a di- we'll, we'll go a different route. Willie. <laughs> I mean, uh, I'll just say, uh, you know, in the trial, there's a couple different times where there was tr- pretty truthful testimony that could have been made, and there wasn't truthful testimony that wasn't made. And so um, that was that was really disappointing. And he got caught for it a couple different times. I think one of the times was, um, I mean, it was just something stupid too. But you could just see the mindset, right? Where where it was, um, it, they the judge asked like, "Hey, you're telling me kids don't stop wrestling?" You know, it was like he had a certain narrative he was going to hit it, as opposed to just telling the truth. And that was really disappointing. Um, I think for everyone. And uh, the the whole trial was 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 a huge disappointment on that in terms of, uh, and I, I think it it hurt him um, more than it hurt anyone else. But I it was agree. Just disappointing they did that. Yeah. All right. My first word is Willie. Awesome. <laughs> Willie is great. I mean, Willie. Um, it's funny because when we first started the trial, lawyers are like, "Who the f- is this guy?" Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> Right, sorry for swearing. But they were just no, like, you're good. They were just like, "What is this dude?" They thought he was like he was, you know. But over time, he he really kind of develops on you, right? Like mm-hmm. he really starts to grow on you, and they really loved it. And his lawyer did an amazing job at the end of the trial. You know, I thought just um, defending him, and I think it's it's because they they believed in him, right? And so that to me was because after a while now. Yeah. So, I mean, overall, um, he's, he's great. He's a great dude. Um, great person. Uh, and he's, he's just kind of learned how to text back normally. Yeah. He's, 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 yeah, he does he doesn't do that. Yeah. I mean, believe me, he doesn't, he doesn't answer anyone's calls. Um, it right. I text, Cor- I text Corby whenever I need to get to Willie. Yeah. That's kind of yeah. my segue now. No, he doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't care. Yeah, so, no. he doesn't, you know, I don't, I don't know. Maybe he answers Kale Sanderson or Tom Brand's calls or maybe not. But um, he doesn't he doesn't answer anyone's calls. <laughs> not, not mine either. <laughs> All right, that's, so that, you know, whatever. So that's a good segue into my next word. My next word is Kale Sanderson. Innovator. And he's yeah. he's a straight up. 
Uh, he is a straight up. Um, he's like he's he's a smart dude. Yeah. He is very very smart, methodical. I've you know just working with him, I learned things from him in terms of how to operate, how to optimize just by observing, right? And so you could really see how methodical he was in terms of building out his events and improving right. month after month after month. And you could see that just kind of carries over to everything he's doing. He's always making these small but important adjustments. And I just, for me, I was just, I was just picking up things little by little, you know, anytime you're going to be around someone as successful as Kale, you, you'd be stupid not to pick up things. Right. And he just, um, he's, he, the dude's, dude's on it. Yeah, he, he really is. Yeah. All right. Cal is a good segue to my next word because I helped Cal get into crypto years ago. And I think one of the first coins I bought you hate. So my, my second word is ripple. Yeah, Ripple's a. Um, so one of the things you learn around crypto. Okay, so I was supposed to come up with one word. <laughs> damn. damn. You know, I, I, what, I, what was the word? Damn. Ripple, the, yeah, the token. <laughs> so, well, I mean, Ripple, I, look things, I look at things as, as what's their utility, right? And so yeah. when you look at the actual utility of Ripple, I mean, it's it goes to show you how much you can accomplish with branding, marketing, and using and being really smart around micro uh microeconomics around the financing in terms of blockchain and just kind of connecting it all but like ripple's use case is very very narrow and it does not just and you know the vast amount of tokens that they have like so you got to look at projects everything's you know underneath the surface you got to look at the devils and the details right um, more so or just as much so in life uh, as in crypto right and so ripple holds an insane amount of tokens. So they hold a vast majority of, they control centralized control, the vast majority of supply. Yeah. And so, you know, they can flood the market. They can not flood the market. They can tighten the market. They can do a lot of different things with their market because people think, Oh, ripple, this is something I have to get into. And so then they, they just because of a brand, Oh, just like, uh, if I'm going to do crypto, I'm, I might as well put some in Ripple because it's so big. But really, the use case is very small on Ripple. I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't get it, and I look at it. And if I don't, if I'm looking at something and I don't get it after a long time, I'm just like, this is, this doesn't work. And and I don't, I don't think even on a conceptual level, right? I don't have to understand the mechanics of everything, but on a conceptual level, to me, the price. Now that's not investment advice. The price, I think, went up. Yada yada. I don't give a shit. I don't. I don't touch it. Because I don't. I don't believe in it. And I think it's a, it's a, it's a scam. It's a house of cards. Yeah. Tell me how you really feel. <laughs> that was a, that was a good one word answer. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Chenzo, your last word. All right. I wasn't sure about this one, so I'm I'm just gonna rip it anyway. And it's uh it's Flow Radio Live. And I'm sticking with the same themes here. <laughs> well, I mean, shoot, I have to be careful on. Uh, I just have to be careful in terms of, you know, how, how I'm saying things still in the middle of the lawsuit. Um, Is that but, still not over yet? Well, you know, we won. Oh Hands freaking down won. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's it's one thing too, guys. You know, one of the disappointing things around that lawsuit that's craziest things is that is that, and you guys might have not caught it, but after Willie left, they went through Willie's personal email while they were suing Willie. 
right? And just yeah. like some of those things is just salt in the, it's just like, wow, you know? And so like their council decided to do that with them to do that with the board, whoever decided it to do that. It wasn't just Willie's, right? Because Joe Kenya, who used to work for Flow, he was saying, he was pretty pissed off. Awesome, they went through tweet, his... awesome tweet from him the other day. Yeah, he yeah. He, he keeps releasing text messages because he's pissed off. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, and it's like, I, I saw them like that. That sucks. Well, we'll see when this if and when this lawsuit, uh, you know, gets over. We got a judgment ruling. Um, I'm prepared to go to appeal just because that's how they that's how they've operated. And I'm, I'm going to do that. Um, I, I, heard, I hope they turn the ship in terms of um, their mentality around because it just doesn't help with the brand and the community and, and the community com- people know people, talk, you know, the, and this, this is a reflection of what, what they're, they'll do. I mean, to me, I, I wouldn't dream of doing it. I wouldn't dream of doing a employee's personal email while they're working for a company. I mean, to me, that's absurd, much less while I'm suing them, I know. much less while I'm suing them. Like, so I just, I, I, in terms of, in terms of the, the, in terms of the, you know, flow radio live and the actual product. I'm, I'm not going to say, I'm just saying in terms of the, how they operate during the lawsuit, how, how it was handled is just, it's, it's a darn, it's a darn shame. It makes me feel sad. It makes me feel sad that my name is even, you know, somewhat associated to that, those type of actions. I hope they can turn it around. There's redemption around every corner. You just gotta, you, you gotta lean into it, take accountability. But, um, that is, um, that's a shame that they did that. And, and, and to me, that's just, it's immoral. It's, it's wrong. You don't do that. You don't, you don't take someone's privacy like that, much less while you're trying to sue them. I mean, it's just, it's wrong on many levels. And the community did not take it over well. Like, it's one of those things that it's almost like, what do you have to gain? Even if you gained everything, it's like, if you lose the community, what do you have? That's, it's uh, when you, you know, I, I don't understand the board's decision in terms of doing it. I think it's a, it's a total disappoint, a total disappointment by the board. You know, you got an owner of the San Francisco 49ers, Mark Juan, who's on the board. He's an owner of the 49ers, Jason Krikorian. He's a board member. He's on, he's a, a partner at DCM, a prominent VC firm in Silicon Valley. Um, you got my brother, Mark Floriani, who's on the board. I mean, what is going on? I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Um, to me, it's, it's wasn't about Willie. It was about me, right? They were coming after me, of course. Um, um, but you know, it's, it's a shame that they do this. It doesn't make any sense. It's a shame that they've approved this. Yeah. All right. My last word, a more simple word, (laughs) Texas. Kind of cheesy. First word that came to my head is freedom. (laughs) It's kind of <laughs> no, no I love it, <laughs> but it's freedom relative to the rest of the you know. Yeah. To me, I'm not I'm not down with a lot of the things that are going on, um, um, forced down GM people's throats. I, I yeah. love autonomy. I love giving people personal autonomy. Um, of course, you, you can be, tell through your through your sites too that that's what you're into, just from your platform. Well, yeah, maybe the people that gravitate to that. I, I think more people will gravitate to that in in the future too. You know, we're obviously agnostic when it comes types of the content that comes on a platform. We don't choose or make type of content, but people definitely gravitate towards it. I don't I, I don't know why, but it's um, yeah, I, I like that in that sense. But you know, everything changes, so you never know, right, Texas. Sure could all of a sudden take it to opposite approach. So um, it's a guarded, it's a guarded freedom is my word for it. 
Yeah. What about well, you? What do you think of New York? If I said New, if I did it to you, just I hate it. I hate New York. I hate it. If, <laughs> yeah. for, for me, for I live in Rochester, New York. We're number one. I have a company of 13 years with small business owners, and I have such a great footprint. It's hard to leave. And number yeah. two, the cost of living here in Rochester is so cheap that if I look at what we have built here to go do it somewhere else, it's such a it's those things that make me consider or think of not leaving. But yeah. New York is just one yeah. of the worst states. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what you, what you, I mean, probably too hot of a topic, but I've seen that the, you know, the comments back and forth around the, the vaccine mandates for school kids and things like that to me, um, you know, it's, it seems aggressive and they're not allowing religious exemptions. It's just like, my uh, buddy's I, a chiropractor. They're homeschooling their kid because they're like, I'm not, I'm not putting my kid in a mask all day. We'll homeschool. Yeah. I mean, I, the, the mask thing doesn't make any sense. It really doesn't make any sense. The whole, you know, it hardly helps at all. And if you just take a more responsible kind of like making sure if you have a cold, you stay home or there's way bad, more effective preventative measures than a mask. And there's a lot of potential downside, inherent risks that people don't talk about, you know, long-term risks with some of these things. So it's, it's just this, this kind of, I don't get, I don't get why people aren't talking more about food, nutrition, and exercise. That's, that's yeah. just what I was going to say. Like maybe eat a salad or, you know, right. Right. I mean, also for the young kids, yeah. there's no, I mean, I, I don't understand, you know, for, for the young kids that they, they're, they don't have a, their, their risk is incredibly low. There's the risk of, the common flu or influenza. There's so many more things that, that the data says that they're more at risk for. So to me, this is not about the safety of kids. It's about something else. What that is, who, you know, there's, there's probably different theories around it and there's probably a lot of money to be made, you know, in, in different ways. But, but if you're health, if you're a child that your risk is not greater than influenza or something else. Right. And so um, I don't, you know, I don't like the stuff that's going on. I've been, you know, I'm kind of vocal around it just because of who I am. I'm, I'm so outspoken. You know, there's a part of me that's like, yeah, maybe I, sh I shouldn't be, but it's just kind of who I am. And so that's my opinion. So uh, I'm outspoken with it, but I, I don't like it. Like when they fired uh, or they were trying to fire Andrew Howe and Jimmy Kennedy, yeah. you know, and wrestling community is like, just make a, they just take the vaccine. Da, da, da. It's like, dude, this is their bodies. Are you, if there's a, a rare case of adverse side effect. Are you going to pay for that? I mean, I get it's rare. I yep. get that it's fine for most people, but it does happen. Are you going to pay for that? Are you going to be paying for, uh, you know, their, their illness moving forward? If they think the chances are different, then they're going to, they're going to do something different. And I just saw, I just saw Vincenzo yawn. So that means I got to shut up. <laughs> 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 no, it's just. Not, has, hey, I'm listening. Has not has nothing to do with you. It's no. still early over in California for it's him. Not, it's it's earlier, but it's yeah, not 10 early. 10:30. Come on, it's not early. <laughs> yeah, it's not early. No, but I I agree, Martin. I think people yeah. need to also respect each other's opinions. Like, yes, my wife and I didn't get the vaccine because we were having a hard time getting pregnant. We had yeah. a miscarriage, so it's like, okay, am I going to add that to the mix yes. of things for now? And you know, it's like people are just so aggressive, but. Yeah. I, I think it's important to be to be vocal. So, Martin, yeah, that's most of what I have. Do you have anything else for us before we let you go? Enjoy your freedom in Texas. No, I don't get anything else. Thanks for having me on the show. It's been fun. Awesome. It's been real fun. Guys, have a great day. We'll all chat soon.
Awesome. And the beat goes on.